Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. The evening storm came out of nowhere. One minute it was calm, the next lightning lit up the night sky, and thunder shook the ground. Then the power went out. It was pitch black. With no electricity, I began to think about what true power is. There are a lot of forces in this world that can drastically affect someone's life, even end it. But none of them are able to change someone's heart, really change it. I mean change who you are, your desires, your nature. When Saul neared Damascus, a light flashed from heaven. It surrounded him. Then he heard the voice of Jesus. It was this moment that changed his heart and altered his destiny. He became a new person, Paul. I have this family member who wants nothing to do with God. I had discussions with them and have kept them in my daily prayers but they still aren't receptive. I have to admit that I recently felt like giving up on them. But sitting in the storm, I can't help think about how Jesus changed Paul's heart. That is true power. So I'm not going to give up on them. I will continue to pray and be that light in the darkness because there is nothing like his power. Well, greetings to all of you. We're already into the third week of our summer series as we are exploring the great invitation of Jesus, follow me. Jesus gives an invitation to every single person in this world, no matter what ethnicity, culture, religion, race. This is a universal invitation that awaits an individual response. So what happens when someone says yes to Jesus' invitation? What changes does Jesus bring in our life as we commit ourselves to following him? That's our focus for the summer. I want to welcome all those watching from our various regionals, the Crowfoot Theaters in Northwest Calgary, our regionals in Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. And at this time, I also want to welcome our online audience. So glad you can tune into our live broadcast today. If you remember in the first sermon of the series... We focused on Jesus' invitation to all who are weary and burdened to come to Him and find rest for their souls. Last weekend in each of our campuses, uh, we had our lead pastors share their life story of how they followed Jesus and the lessons they have learned in this uh, area of discipleship. Today, we're going to focus on the power of the gospel to transform the human heart. This good news that has changed our lives has the potential to change the lives of those who are around us. That's why every follower of Jesus is a witness to the gospel's power. Every transformed life is a testimony to God's grace. When we commit ourselves to following Jesus, when we enter into this journey of discipleship, when we come under Christ's yoke, we also sign up to become ambassadors of the gospel. 
But I want to start today by sharing a conundrum that I had recently, because this message was birthed out of that. I was looking on the internet at the list of terror incidents that have happened around the world just in the last few weeks, and my heart sank. There were over 50 events in just the last four weeks or so, spanning all over the globe, incidents involving bombings, shootings, executions, suicide attacks, acts of terrorism, resulting in hundreds and hundreds of deaths. And in my prayers, I asked myself this question, do I really believe that the gospel is so powerful that it can transform the hearts of terrorists who run into buildings and kill people? Do I truly believe that such people can become followers of Christ? And then my mind raced to individuals that I know personally, my own family members and friends who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. They don't show much interest or in fact any interest in following Christ. And I ask myself again, do I believe that the gospel is so powerful that it can radically alter the course of their life and transform their heart? And as I wrestled with these questions on the inside, as I struggled with this dilemma, I had to confess that I believe theologically that the gospel is powerful and able to change lives. I knew it in my head that this is possible. But somehow there was a gap between the head and the heart. And I had started categorizing some people to be so far from God that there is little hope for such people to be saved. I had low expectations that they would ever follow Jesus. My prayers for them were just perfunctory. And at that moment, I sensed the conviction of the Spirit. And I had to confess and ask the Lord to forgive me for my unbelief, for being so pessimistic, and for settling for something far less than what God has in mind. And I feel a strong burden to communicate this message with you today, because I believe many of you are in that same conundrum. Maybe you prayed for people to be saved, and you haven't seen much results. Your family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker doesn't seem to respond to Christ. So you have stopped praying, stopped believing, stopped expecting, and settled for something far less than what God has in mind. Let me ask you a set of questions for you to ponder. Have you become passive in your expectations and prayers for people to follow Jesus? Have you come to the conclusion that human resistance is more powerful than the gospel? Are you discouraged by the tragic events that are happening in our world and in our city today and feel like Christians are just a minority? I believe the Lord has laid this message on my heart for a reason. 
And Jesus wants all of us here at Center Street Church to know that He is alive and well. The Holy Spirit wants to raise our sense of expectation and reawaken in our hearts a sense of wonder and amazement for the gospel's power. You know, as you read the New Testament, you will see repeatedly that the gospel is associated with power. The Apostle Paul declares in the book of Romans, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Paul says to the Thessalonians, the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. See, there is an extraordinary, explosive power that is inherent in the gospel. For it has the ability to redeem the most hardened human heart. And that is why we are called not to improvise the gospel, but to proclaim it faithfully. Because this message already bears the stamp of God's authority. Here's one thing I want to accomplish through today's message. This is my prayer for all of us here. That we will stop doubting and start believing in God to transform the lives of those who are around us. And today we're going to look at the conversion of someone who was least likely to be converted. If you were to put your money on who will get saved... I don't think anyone would have bet on this guy. He would have been the least likely person in his time to become a Christ follower. The person I'm referring to is none other than Paul. May I ask us to stand right now as we read our text for today from Acts chapter 22, verses 1 to 16. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law 
and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Father, as we come before your presence, we call on your name because we want to hear your voice. We know that Paul heard your voice and his life was radically transformed. And whenever we are sensitive and in tune with your voice, life change happens in our lives today. So we pray, O oh Lord, that you will awaken in us the wonder and power of the gospel, that the gospel that has changed the life of Paul continues to change lives today. Let that truth be burned in our soul. So speak to us in the power of your spirit, for we pray in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in high school in India, there was one Christian boy in the class. His name was Cyril Daniel. I was not a Christian that time. Now, this may be difficult for you to believe, but it's true. I was part of a small gang of other boys in the class who caused trouble. <laughs> oh, yes, I was bad. Our favorite thing to do was to pick on Cyril Daniel because he was a Christian. And I was like the leader of that gang, instigating them to make fun of Cyril and especially his religion. I was so mad that Christians would attempt to convert others. And I wanted Cyril to know that was wrong. Cyril, on his part, never defended himself was mostly silent and took all of our insults without retaliation, which made us all the more upset, and we wondered, what's wrong with this guy? Now, fast forward three years. By this time, I had started following Jesus, and my own life had been radically transformed by the gospel. I was even preaching in my church and was so eager to proclaim this very message that I once hated. One day, I was invited to speak at a youth meeting in the city, and I was sharing my testimony. There must have been about 200 young people in that room, and as soon as I was done with my testimony, a young man came rushing forward. Do you know who it was? Cyril Daniel. Cyril was a timid boy, but that day he went up on stage and he grabbed the microphone. You should have seen the expression in his face. It was like he had seen a ghost. <laughs> and Cyril said this to everyone. I just can't believe what I heard just now. I just can't believe. Am I dreaming? I still remember 
how Ashwin used to make fun of the gospel. And I used to go home every day and pray for him that God would open his eyes. And Cyril looked at everyone that day and he said, I give praise to God today for he has heard my prayers. I tell you, there were very few dry eyes in that room that day. And I will never forget that moment in my life. For I knew that day the Lord was at work long before I knew him personally. Paul was an unlikely convert. The least likely to be saved in his time. Paul didn't just make fun of Christians. He wanted them dead. But the gospel made an inroad into Paul's life, and the rest is history. The passage we read now is Paul's testimony in his own words. By the way, the names Saul and Paul refer to the same person. The custom of dual names was common in those times. So Saul was his Hebrew name, while Paul was his Roman name. So I'll keep alternating between the two names in this sermon. To give you the context of Acts chapter 22, Paul stood in the city of Jerusalem as a condemned criminal before a Jewish audience, and he was accused of teaching false doctrines. Paul gave his defense before the Jews. Do you know that the best defense of the gospel it's not some elaborate intellectual argument, but it's your testimony of what Jesus has done in your life that stands as a convicting evidence of the authenticity of the gospel. So that's what Paul did that day. Standing in front of this angry mob, Paul shared his story. The fact that Paul spoke in Aramaic, the language spoken by the Jews of that time, got their attention. Look at what Paul says in Acts 22 verse 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Paul tells the crowd that he was born in the famous city of Tarsus a distinguished city, a city with a big university like a Harvard or Yale of our time. Paul was not born in Israel, but in Tarsus, which was a city on the Syrian border, and it was under the Roman Empire. So Paul was a Roman citizen and a diaspora Jew who was born outside of Israel. Scholars say that in his early teens, Paul moved to Jerusalem to study the Jewish law under one of the most revered Jewish teachers of his time, named Gamaliel. Sitting under Gamaliel's teaching, Saul would have mastered the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament law like the back of his hand. He was trained thoroughly to teach others. So having acquired a PhD, Paul was now a key leader in the synagogue and a zealous Pharisee. The word Pharisee literally means the separated ones, for it was the strictest sect in Judaism. 
considered to be the cream of the crop. So as a young leader, Saul was far ahead of his contemporaries and had a promising future ahead of him. And Saul heard of this new sect that was teaching forgiveness of sins that comes from a man who claimed to be God's son. He thought this was a cult. So he took it as his personal mission in life to wipe out this heresy from the face of the earth. So he says in verses 4 and 5, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Saul was so passionate about his Jewish faith that he saw the Christian teachings as a distortion of Judaism. You can see the intensity of the hatred that he had for Christians as he sought to annihilate them. He was ruthless in persecuting them to death, throwing both men and women in prison. It says in Acts chapter 7, those who stoned Stephen laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was not just an accidental bystander when Stephen was put to death, but in all probability, he was the chief person responsible for that execution. So that's why they laid their clothes at his feet, signifying that he was the primary witness against Stephen. Saul continued creating havoc, breathing murderous threats. He was radical in his faith, violent in his actions, and his mission was to destroy the name of Jesus and stamp out this new flame that was spreading so rapidly. So much so that when Saul was converted, persecution against Christians subsided significantly. Saul was obsessed with hunting for Christians everywhere, even those who were in foreign cities. So that's why Saul was off to Damascus on a four-day journey to catch all the Jewish followers of Jesus in this foreign city and bring them back to Jerusalem and punish them. But Saul's life came to a sudden halt on this journey to Damascus, resulting in one of the greatest turning points in history. Look at verses 6 and 7. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I tell you, this is one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. As bright lights flashed, everyone is on the ground covering their faces. And Saul hears this voice, someone calling him by name. The Lord Jesus knew Saul by name. And he said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's fascinating that Jesus did not threaten Saul. He did not rebuke him. He did not pile a set of accusations against him. There are no words of judgment here. But Jesus poses a gentle question. Why are you persecuting 
me. Notice this. Jesus did not say, why are you persecuting the church? Or why are you persecuting my people? Jesus says, you are persecuting me. All of Saul's violent attacks against the church was an attack against Christ himself. He took it personally because Jesus is inseparable from his people. The church is his body, and when the body is under attack, Jesus himself feels the pain. Now, struck by such blazing light and hearing a voice so magnificent, Saul weakly responded, Who are you, Lord? He hears back words he would have never, ever expected. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. That would have been the defining moment. Saul was stunned into silence. Jesus of Nazareth, I've been persecuting you all along. That realization caused a 180-degree turn, a complete reversal of direction, and Saul dedicated his life to following Jesus. And the same zeal that was used to destroy the church was now going to be channeled to build the church. Now, this may appear to us like a sudden dramatic conversion. I believe the Lord was at work in Saul's life for a long time, maybe for years. How do we know? We have a clue in another passage from Acts where Paul recounts his testimony again, this time in front of King Agrippa. And in Acts 26, 14, it says, We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And when we come across agricultural terms in Scripture, it's important I explain what it means. Because Calgary may be called a cow town, but there aren't many cowboys over here. <laughs> you know, the last time I mentioned, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, a teenager from our church thought I meant egg yolk. <laughs> so he was quite puzzled sitting there. Why would Jesus want me to take a yolk? It messed up his mind. I'm so glad I showed you a picture of a yolk that helped clarify all doubts. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. A goat was a long pole with a metal tip used by farmers to make a stubborn ox to move. The farmer would poke the animal to steer it in the right direction. It hurt. Sometimes the beast would rebel and kick against the goat. And the more the ox kicked, the goat would stab into its flesh deeper, causing even greater pain. So that just illustrates Paul's conversion. It did not happen overnight. 
The Lord was getting his attention, pursuing him, goading his conscience for a long time. But Saul was resisting and fighting back. He was unwilling to admit he was wrong because the stakes were high. He stifled his convictions by going on the other extreme, by trying to destroy the very faith that was pricking his conscience. Saul was fighting a losing battle. You cannot fight against God, rebel against His will, war against His purposes, and not hurt yourself in the process. The appearance of Jesus to Saul was the culmination of the goading process. Saul finally yielded. And now the Jesus whom Saul had fought all along was enthroned in his heart as Lord and King. Early church father Augustine called the conversion of Paul the violent capture of a rebel's will. That is true, not just of Paul's conversion, but every single conversion, including yours and mine. It's a capture of our rebellious will that is bent on going its own way. Our stories of conversion may be different because God pursues us differently, but they are like a myriad of colors on a kaleidoscope, each pointing to a particular facet of the gospel. And that's why every conversion is a miracle. Whether you were raised in the church or you had no faith in your upbringing or you were part of a completely different worldview, when you chose to follow Jesus, your life is a testimony to the power of the gospel to change lives. And we need to remind ourselves constantly of how we were saved. It wasn't because of our superior reasoning, not because of our morality, not because we were spiritually more astute than others. It was all because of the power of the gospel and the grace of God. For that moment in our life, Jesus reached out to us and pulled us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He broke our shackles, and our heart was made free. And Jesus and his gospel transformed us from sinners into worshipers who lived to exalt the one who redeemed us with his own blood. I tell you, until you are in awe of your own salvation, you will never be able to lead others into the faith. Ironically, Saul was struck by physical blindness, but spiritually, his eyes would open. God sent a godly man named Ananias to lay hands and pray for Saul. We find in verses 12 and 13, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Did you see how Ananias addressed Saul? He calls him Brother Saul. 
the one who had breathed hatred towards them, whose mission in life was to exterminate them completely, the one who spewed murderous threats against them was now a fellow brother in Christ. And this is what Ananias says to Paul in verses 14 and 15. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. The Lord literally handpicked Paul to be a witness. He was a chosen instrument. Can you imagine the magnitude of Paul's calling? For soon this strongest opponent of Christianity will become its strongest proponent. Paul would say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Paul will go on to proclaim, declare, and defend the very message that he once tried to destroy. He will evangelize the lost, travel miles and miles, plant churches, and suffer like no one else for the sake of the kingdom. Paul will speak from Mars Hill in Athens to the Hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus to the streets of Rome. He will stand before rulers and emperors, religious authorities and Gentiles. He will go on to write 13 letters that were breathed by the Holy Spirit. He will inspire some of the brilliant minds in history like Augustine, Calvin, Luther, and Wesley. Paul will become God's chosen instrument to touch the world with the life-changing power of the gospel and change the course of world's history. Do you see what God can do through one person who's fully surrendered to him? And what Jesus said to Paul that day applies to every follower of Christ. You will be my witnesses to all people of what you have seen and heard. We all may not have the magnitude of calling like Paul's, but we are witnesses nevertheless of the life-changing power of the gospel of Christ. Here's the point I want to make to you today. Saul was a person no one expected to get converted says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. You know, when the early church came to hear about Paul's conversion, they did not break into celebration shouting hallelujahs. But their response was of unbelief and fear. The man who was bent on wiping out all Christians was now one among them. It was too good to be true. But Paul's conversion happened in history for a reason. Because the Lord wanted the early church to believe in the power of the gospel to conquer anyone's heart, even its worst opponent. Paul's conversion brought hope to the early church. 
that no matter what challenges they faced, they have been entrusted with a message that is so powerful that it will thrive against all oppositions and odds. Today, when we look at the gloom and the doom that's in our world today, when we look at our culture and the policies of our government, when we see the state of our young people, it is so easy for Christians and churches to resign into an attitude of defeat and become skeptical and pessimistic of everything. But let me ask you, have we somehow forgotten that Jesus is still alive and he is in charge? That his gospel is powerful and triumphant? That God's kingdom will gloriously advance in the midst of trials and tribulations? That God would do his work not because of us, but in spite of us? That Satan will be comprehensively defeated and utterly vanquished one day? See, if we truly believe this, we will be the most optimistic people in the whole wide world. And the transformation of an unlikely convert like Paul into a new creation is not some distant event in history. It's not something that happened centuries ago, found in some archaic book. From the first century to the present, Jesus is still very much in the business of changing people's lives. One of the blessings of working here at Sinistry Church is to witness and contribute to such dramatic life change in people. It's an honor I will never, ever take lightly. Five years ago, when I was still an intern here at the church, I met with a young lady named Juliana. Her boyfriend had introduced her to our church. She grew up in a different worldview and had so many questions about faith and God. After talking to Juliana, I honestly wondered in my heart, how can someone with so many questions ever come to faith? Lo and behold, God had other plans. Juliana connected with our special needs ministry because she had a heart to help people. And then someone invited her to our Why Believe series. The Lord was clearly at work in her life. And it's not so much our ability to answer all her difficult questions, but the quality of people she met at church that impacted her. Now, this is Juliana's own words. The people that I met in my journey to Christ demonstrated joy, peace, love, gentleness, kindness, goodness, patience, faithfulness, and self-control. These beautiful, shining attributes drew me to the light of Christ. Juliana's life was transformed. She decided to get baptized in this very place and made a public profession of her faith in Jesus Christ. And Juliana continues to attend our church and actively serves in our church. A few years ago, I met a young man at our Christmas Eve service named Warren. Warren came from a Hindu family. 
His dad's health had deteriorated and he had passed away. So that had an impact on Varun's life that turned him into a seeker. When I gave Varun a Bible and asked him to read, to be honest, I didn't have much expectations. I'd given away many Bibles and most often I don't hear back from people. But something was different about this guy. Warren was seeking with all his heart, and he was reading the Bible with great interest. He started coming to church regularly, and every sermon that was spoken from this pulpit spoke to him personally as though it was meant for him. And it was only a matter of time before Warren dedicated his life to following Jesus, and I had the privilege of baptizing him right here yet another unlikely convert. Catherine and her husband Jim were attending our church. They invited Catherine's sister Carla and her husband Phil to come to church. Carla and Phil were drawn to Christ and they became passionate followers of Jesus and went on to get baptized. Now Jim and Catherine were so inspired by Carla and Phil and although they had trusted in Jesus, they themselves were not baptized. So they realized the importance of making a public declaration of their faith. And so they chose the waters of baptism. Now the story gets better. Catherine and Carla's parents saw the life change in their daughters. And they knew that something was different about them and the difference was Jesus. So the parents committed their life to Jesus Christ, and we baptized them in this very place. Isn't it incredible to see entire households coming to know the Lord like in the book of Acts? Some of us, we have become fatalistic in our thinking. We've concluded that nothing is going to change because we are overwhelmed by the darkness that's surrounding us. God wants to issue a reminder today that he's not frantic, he's on the throne. Jesus Christ is not dead, he is alive. The Holy Spirit is not distant, he is near. The gospel is not powerless, it is dynamic. And that's why the kingdom of God continues to advance and even the powers of darkness cannot stall this movement. So let's never, ever lose heart. Going back to Paul's conversion, do you know what was the reason Jesus transformed Paul's life? Paul himself gives us the answer. In 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Can the gospel conquer the heart of someone who is rebelling against God? The question was once and for all settled with the conversion of Paul. So that means there are no unlikely converts in this world. And when someone declares 
I will never ever become a Christian, that person better watch out. Watch out. And as we come to an end, I'm going to ask us to take this card that was given to you while you walked into the service. If you can pull this card out, and if you don't have this card, just raise your hands, and one of the ushers will be able to help you. to think about my friend Cyril Daniel at age 15 Cyril was looking at someone who was least likely to become a Christian and rather than being discouraged and frustrated Cyril at age 15 knew what was the right thing to do he went down on his knees and today I stand here it's living proof of what God can do when we expectantly believe for others to come to follow Him. So I'm going to ask you right now, in the quietness of this moment, to think of three people in your life that you will say are so far from God that humanly speaking, you don't see how they will ever become followers of Christ. I want you to ask God to bring those people to mind and write their names here. And we're going to make a covenant with God today. See, what I preach to you, it's not just inspiring stuff. It's real. God's power is real. And we're going to trust God to do what He alone can do to open the eyes of an individual and turn them into followers of Christ. And there will be times you will be discouraged that's the time you have to read this verse. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I want to ask you to make a covenant with God to pray for these three individuals every single day until we finish our summer series. So for the rest of the summer, by faith, we are going to believe that God would do a profound work in the hearts of these people. So as Mark plays the piano, I want to give us a minute of silence to just talk to God and come up with three names and write it in this card. Let's maintain a moment of silence.
going to ask all of us to stand right now. You know, as I was preparing for this weekend, this thought came to my mind. Well, even if we have 4,000 people attending our services this weekend, if each of us were to believe that God would touch the lives of three people, and we are looking at over 10,000 non-Christians being prayed for, I mean, there's no greater adventure than this as a church this summer and to actively and expectantly believe God to work in the lives of 10,000 people. So it's a pretty significant exercise. I don't want any of you to take this lightly. But with our heart, soul, and mind, let us give ourselves to the task of praying and believing and reaching out to the people around us. If the Lord has given you names to pray for, I'm going to ask you to just raise these cards. I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to agree together by faith that God would move. So just raise these cards out high. Let's lift, let's lift these individuals up to God in prayer. Father, we want to declare today in this place the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. We thank you, Lord, for this life-changing power of the gospel that redeems people from darkness and brings them into light. We thank you for this power that opens eyes that are blind and gives us the gift of sight. And today we want to trust you and believe in you for the individuals that you've laid in our heart. These are precious people whom you love dearly. You shed your blood to redeem them and we pray, oh God, that by the power of your Spirit, you will be at work in their hearts and lives. Arrange the circumstances of their life in such a way that you will get their attention. That the powerful message of the gospel will break through their resistance, Jesus. That your Spirit will do a powerful work of transformation. So as we believe with great expectation. I pray that you will give us the gift of faith. God is from discouragement. And we will continue to trust you to do what you alone can do. God, we pray that you will be exalted and your name will be glorified, that your kingdom will advance in the midst of the darkness and the gloom that surrounds the world. Use us, Lord, as a church to be testimonies of this powerful gospel. Even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.